Hi everybody, it's Jamie, your friendly neighborhood dungeon manager. Before we start the episode, we just want to point out that The Witcher is a show that contains a lot of extreme violence, potentially sensitive themes, and has some visuals that some people might find troubling. And while we try to cover these things as sensitively as possible, sometimes our discussion might delve into some content that some listeners might find troubling. So we just wanted to let you know before we get started, but like I said, we do our best to keep it tasteful and respectful. And now, on to the episode. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my monstrous co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, an elf who just wants to be lazy and get fat in the forest, and um, I'm more like a hobbit, but uh, that doesn't exist in this world, so nobody has a word for it yet. (laughs) You're breaking boundaries. Yeah, yeah. I'm a trendsetter. (laughs) Well, that's good. I'm sure this world is really kind to unique species. Yeah, we know it is. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, good luck with that. But who am I? (laughs) My name is Jack Olander. I'm I'm a rat just trying to stay warm in a, in a castle full of Big, buff, masculine, touch-starved men. (laughs) (laughs) They're so lonely, and yet their camaraderie is just so, so noticeable. It's beautiful. (laughs) Yes. To behold. I mean, the sexual tension must keep you very warm. Yes. 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 Well, guys, it's not just the three of us here this week. That's right. We've got a special guest, our expert witcher correspondent. Hi, it's Casey, and I be the Wicked Witch of the Woods. (laughs) I did notice you had some leaves in your hair. (laughs) So do you make packs with uh, people that come across your hut? Um, no, I just live alone in the woods and don't want anyone to bother me ever. And sometimes they do. And I'm like, (laughs) how can I get them the fuck out of here as fast as possible? (laughs) (laughs) Completely understandable. Yeah. Wicked. You know what else is cool? Casey's also one of our patrons. And that's pretty awesome, guys. She's been one of our stalwart supporters of the show. And, uh, has been one of our biggest allies since the beginning. And if you want to be as cool as Casey yeah. is, <laughs> you can head to patreon.com slash swords and satire, take a look at our different membership levels, pick one that fits your budget, and support our show every month while getting bonus episodes and the ability to vote on movies we watch. Yeah, that's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> but guys, we're not talking about a movie this week. That's right. Because this is Satire TV where we talk about a TV show instead of a movie. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> I was going to do the same exact thing. <laughs> Great minds. Yeah. And, oh, of course, everyone knows that we are talking about our favorite 
favorite series, The Witcher Season 2. And this week we'll be talking about Episode 2, Care Morin. That's right. But before we talk about it, we should probably summarize what happens in this episode. That's right. So this episode starts with an amazing time jump where Yennefer and Geralt are married, living a blissful life as vegetable merchants. <laughs> Yennefer's pregnant and everything's great. Oh no, that was just a dream, a crazed fever dream that Yen was having after being abducted by some elves with Frangilla. I completely oh forgot that. God. I know, me too. I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? I will <laughs> never forget that scene. <laughs> they were Sexy like... husbando Geralt shows up. Dude, it was... Okay, it was the best. We have to talk more about that in the next section. <laughs> so, at the end of Yennefer's dream, we see a red-hooded figure. And we find out throughout the episode that her, Fringilla... And the elf Francesca all had very similar dreams on the same night. Which is apparently a good omen. Yeah, or an supposedly. omen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's certainly an omen. Yeah. <laughs> all right, maybe it's a bad omen. All right. But so Yen and Frangilla have been captured by Philavandrel and Francesca's band of, we'll say, not very happy elves. Who They're are, elven freedom fighters. Yes. And of course we support elven liberation, so gotta cheer for those guys. The elves are conducting a bit of a archaeological expedition into an old elven ruin. And that's when things get a little crazy when they take Yen and Fringilla into the temple. So Fringilla... Yennefer and the elven, is she like a queen? She's their leader. Yeah, the elven leader, Francesca. They go into a temple and it opens up to uh, like in, an underground cavern that is the woods. In classic I, video game uh, style, the yeah. altar creaks back and yeah. exposes a hole in the floor. And they, they go into the woods and there is a hut with no doors. And inside it, there is... Um, they they see visions, each of them, and they each experience a different being. Francesca sees one of the old elven gods. Ithilene. And, um... Or, I'm Fr sorry, Illithene. Yeah, Illithene. Frangilla sees... Uh, not Kahir, because that's not a person. Amir. Amir. <laughs> um, and Yennefer sees... Supposedly a young Tesea, it was not really clear. Yeah. Um, and each of them are basically told that she will help them, or the figure will help them uncover or achieve something that they want uh, if they just do what this figure says. And we kind of realize that the figure is a uh, like witchy demon lady who is manipulating her appearance um, for each of them. Um, she's basically the Baba Yaga of this setting. Yeah, she's definitely... Baba Yaga says, you guys should do these things and you'll get greatness if you do. Uh, all except for Yen, who isn't actually promised greatness. Uh, Yen is told, I'm not going to help you yet. You just have to go suffer a lot and I'll come back to you later. 
She basically wants them all desperate enough to take her uh, pact. Yeah. And it's like, it's the worst kind of like agreement you can make because she's offering them power basically for a favor later. <laughs> oh, yeah. Classic warlock patron pact. Yeah. <clears throat> but so the episode ends with Yen realizing that, oh, no, it wasn't her magical manacles that were keeping her from using her powers. Using chaos magic at the end of season one seems to have stripped her of her ability to cast spells. That's right. But woven throughout that storyline is the next exploit of Siri and Geralt as they find their way to Kermorin. Those wacky kids. <laughs> Geralt brought Siri there to try to keep her protected and possibly train her, teach her a little bit of what he knows. But uh, he's not sure about doing that, but when they meet up with his old uh, teacher and mentor, what's his name? Vesemir, star of the Nightmare of the Wolf. Vesemir. They have heart-to-heart. Geralt is more open around his friends. This we is one of the first times we're meeting other witchers, right? Living ones. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Ones that are not corpses. Yeah, and we get to see a new side of Geralt, which is pretty cool. And uh, he expects everything to be pretty chill there, uh, and he thinks he can keep an easier watch on Ciri, but uh, it doesn't all go according to plan. Who'd have thunk? Oh boy, you got that right. Geralt certainly has trouble being a father figure to Ciri in this episode, as... She is an independent child. Meanwhile, he uh, Geralt is dealing with a bit of envy coming from another witcher named Eskel, who, uh, he's got a wound that looks pretty infected, and a personality <laughs> that's pretty infected. <laughs> they, Tra- trauma might do that to you. That's right. And while Eskel is trying to unwind with a, a working gal... It turns out that infection was worse than he expected, and he becomes a monster. Whom Geralt, I hate when that happens. Exactly. Whom Geralt is forced to confront. In a, in a uh, violent turn of events, Eskel puts Geralt in bondage and starts po- <laughs> prodding him with his tentacles. And uh, Vesemir and Geralt uh, kill him. He's dead. <laughs> I mean, Geralt does all the heavy lifting. It's true. They were trying to talk Eskel down, but when he was about to kill Vesemir, that's when Geralt had felt like he had no choice but to step in. It's true. So they kill him. (laughs) And just for clarity, uh, Eskel is turned into a leshy or crazy tree monster. Yeah, tentacle bondage monster. Yeah. And uh, it ends with Geralt... Uh, coming to the conclusion that rather than coddle Siri, he needs to teach her how to survive. Yeah, and he's training her how to do sword movements in the courtyard. That's right. In her fancy dress. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I like to sword fight. <laughs> yeah. And that's what happens, so... The yeah. end. <laughs> <laughs> of the summary. For, thanks for listening. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's time to move into the Dell.
Welcome to The Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of The Witcher, Season 2, Episode 2, Care Morin. So we have two things that we want to talk about right off the bat, and one of them is um, Fringilla, and I think, Casey, you have a lot to say about her. But real quick, can we just talk about Geralt and Yennefer and their almost life? Yes, yes, for the rest of this episode and every future episode. Dude, that timeline is is pretty clutch. Like that could be some real, like uh, you know, fantasy fuel. You know what I mean? I mean, it literally is fantasy fuel. Yeah. It just is such a. I, I I knew right away it was a dream because Geralt's like coming in all. Like I said earlier, husbando style, like yeah. not wearing his black leather. He's in more like peasant garb and he's like, oh, I was at, I had a good day at the market today. And I was like, we know that Geralt's not a merchant. And he's like, I love you, honey. And they kiss. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the exact dream wording you would want to hear. It's like, oh, I did it, honey. Those vegetables you grew in your garden were perfect. We got just enough to survive, but it's all we need. <laughs> Our house is full of love. Exactly. <laughs> it's verbatim what he says. Now, for a hot sec, I was willing to believe that maybe this was a flashback that we hadn't seen from sometime mm. else in their yeah. timeline. Yeah. But then when we saw pregnant Yen... That's when I knew that something was amiss. Yeah. Because we know that Yennefer is incapable of bearing children. Oh my god, that that's like a transition to another theme. Yes, of, um, of uh parentage and child rearing. Yeah. I we're think gonna be talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> we already we already know that like Geralt, you know, he basically has become a dad. Yep. And Single dad. Yeah. Just trying to make it. Yeah, and yeah. Yen can't be a mom because of the uh, procedure that she had done in order to become hot mage. Yeah. Uh, she, mm-hmm. They, like, take out her uterus, which doesn't make any sense. Um, Magic is weird. I, yeah. <laughs> Magic is awful, apparently. Yeah. And um, she has no anesthesia or any magical yeah. barrier. Yeah. But uh, I thought one another kind of, like, compounding thing to that is um, Francesca, the elven leader... She is pregnant. And oh, there's right. this whole thing about how uh there hasn't been a pure blood elf born like in a very long time. Yeah. I think and, they said like a couple generations. Yeah. And like she has I think she says she's been pregnant several times, but they never like go to ter- or like come to term right. or yeah. whatever it, the phrase carried to term. Carried mm. carried to term. Um and so she She's like the the thing that she wants the most is uh for her her elven, you know, population to thrive, but she especially wants this uh baby that she's currently carrying to actually carry to term. Yeah. yeah. Um, I already forgot the term. Um and so the term. That, that's that's the thing that the uh the the wicked witch in the woods tells her. Yeah. You know, like, oh, if you just do these things, you know, then you you will have uh like a, a thriving elven empire and your baby will live. Yeah, one of the things she says is you have to live amongst the humans. Right. And then we also learned later that she told Fringilla in Fringilla's vision that she should ally with the elves. Yeah. Right. So the deathless mother, who's the the witch in the cabin, who's basically Baba Yaga, yeah. um, is 
driving Francesca and Frangilla together as as allies. Right. Now, Francesca, is she currently pregnant? Yes. Yeah. Do we see any sort of spousal companion or significant other? Are you trying to make a Jesus implication? No. <laughs> it's worse. I, I thought Jack was going to be like, there's no way she's pregnant. This is television and she never threw up. Have you guys seen Ator the Fighting Eagle? Oh, we have, Have yeah. you seen how close she is with her brother? Yeah, she was very close with them. They That's have fair. very close opinions. They have like a feedback loop of ideology where they cut others out of the conversation. And play off each other's, like, traumas. Mm. They touch a lot in this. That's fair. Maybe brother is a term of endearment for elves. No, she said when our parents died, I took care of you. So <laughs> I think she's his actual brother. When we were watching this episode, I was uncomfortable by their relationship. Yeah. And to know she's pregnant without a partner that is evident. I'm a little worried about this. Yeah, I would have thought it was Philavandrel, but they don't seem to get along, so... Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe it was like business. A, I thought it was like more of an alliance type of thing. Yeah. Well, he was the former leader, and when he failed to uh, like win their fight against Sintra in the past, or uh, Zintra, as the elves used to call it. Yes, that is their homeland. The he said the elves kind of basically voted him out and voted her to be the leader. Yeah. Right. Now I just want to take a quick aside here and say that Phil Evangel's costume in this episode is fucking awesome and I want that's like my new style. He's got like the tu the belted tunic, the billowy yeah. uh trousers and everything, the hood that he never takes down. I am here for it. Dude, he has so much charisma too. It's so compelling and I was so excited to see that we were going to get more elf action because I wanted to know more about what was going on with them and um like what we could expect their agenda to be and now we get to see some of that it's very cool yeah now another important thing we're talking about how the elves haven't been able to have children we also find out in this episode that monsters throughout the region have not been able to procreate and Wait, increase did, their numbers did we find that out yeah the witchers talk about that in Kermoran. i think vesemir mentions it well, yeah that. Well, we learned... Or the Leshy certainly haven't been able to. That's, that's the one. That's true. It could be others. It seems to be like a growing theme, perhaps. I mean, as Casey just mentioned, it's a theme that carries over from the last season. Yeah. I was also going to say there's the theme of the dying race theme, which I've got bullet points here <laughs> <laughs> about all the different things. Well, we... I want to take a step back and mention that we learned when we watched the kind of prequel mm -hmm. animated movie, uh, The Nightmare of the Wolf. We did an episode on that, too. And in that one, Vesemir was the main character. And he learned that the witchers actually were mutating and creating most of the monsters that they were fighting. Right. Oh. Kind and, of keeping um, supply and demand. But since they were sacked... They aren't creating more monsters. Right. And so maybe monsters, some types of monsters can't self-propagate like the Leshy, but other ones that are naturally occurring, maybe they can. Well, I didn't know that they were making monsters. Yeah. That's a little tidbit we find out in The Nightmare of the Wolf, which gets referenced a few times in this 
episode. Yeah, I was like, spoilers, guys. I didn't watch that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, they, I mean, they basically spoil it in this episode. Yeah, I didn't know that, that the Witchers were making monsters. Yeah, they make they make Witchers out of humans, and they make monsters that they then fight. They used to. Okay. Everyone has a cringy past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if, like, I don't think it was... That all the monsters they fight are exclusively no. ones they made. Yeah. I think they say in the movie, like, business was getting tight, so we had to find wow. a way to make a little bit of extra coin on the side. You know yeah. how it is. That's so not awesome. all monsters are mutated. And I think Vesemir was kind of mad about that. That was he his was. old trainer. Yeah. Who he talks about being killed. That's another thing that's spoiled in this episode from the movie. Okay. So, sorry, everyone. But, I mean, this episode literally references it. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Vesemir was against what they were doing, and he helped stop it. Okay. I think it's interesting, though, because, like, so, the the th- the thing that also happens when they get sacked is, like, that the witchers can't be produced anymore. Yeah. So that's kind of, like, a form of dying race. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then, like, there's the elven race that's dying, yeah. and then I know that Ciri doesn't count as a race, but, like, her whole family got wiped out. So her she's line. Like, yeah, her line got wiped out, so she's, like, the last of her line. So it's well, kind she's of like, part elven, too. Yeah, but it's, but still, like, the idea of the, the fact that she's the last one of her, like, family. So it's, like, yeah. I think there's a lot of themes there, because, like, it's clear that, like, Geralt and Vesemir seem like a little bit unhappy that they can't make more witchers, which I was yeah. a little bit confused about at first, but then I realized like monsters still exist, so I guess maybe they're feeling like once we're gone, we're the last hope that humanity has against monsters. Yeah. Is that- well, there's that, and also a lot of witcher camaraderie comes from them going through the same trauma and struggles, yeah. and so since they won't be making more witchers, there's going to be less people who can relate to them. Witchers have a really hard time finding a place in society. Humans mm. mistrust them because they are monster hunters. Mm. But, you know, traditionally throughout history, people who solve problems can also be accused of creating those problems. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how firefighters are always setting places on fire. <laughs> Supply and demand. <laughs> no, but seriously... um. So, yeah, I, I think it's this thing where they realize, you know, as any one of us dies, that's one less person who we can even talk to or have any yeah, relationship yeah. with. So it is kind of like a, a, a standard, like, I'm losing my people. I'm losing the people that I, I I know and, like, who get me and who understand me, who understand my, like, traditions or my behaviors or whatever. And Definitely. they each have their own unique cultures. And so their cultures yeah. are dying off, yeah. too. yeah. yeah. It also has the interesting real-world parallels that I've talked about in previous episodes where trauma tends to be propagated by the traumatized. Like, they're like, oh, like, you know, the process of creating witches is really brutal. Like, we take children from their families, we put them through a trial that only a small percentage survive. Yeah. But that's how we make our buddies for the future. That seems so like the fact is, that's yeah, why that's why I was up. so confused because like you know with Francesca being like oh I want I want my my elven population to thrive I'm like yeah I get it and Siri being like I'm bummed my family died yeah I get it but like Geralt clearly isn't like super stoked about the fact that like he was tortured and mutilated no. in order to become a witcher but then at the same time they all are so bummed that like 
there's no way to make more witchers. And I'm like, I thought you'd be excited about that because you wouldn't want anybody to be abused like you. <laughs> I think yeah. it's complicated. It yeah. is complicated. I don't think he wants to perpetuate that on anybody else. Yeah. But it also is kind of like this thing where with the witchers and the elves and like Siri, mm-hmm. they're all outsiders. They kind of have this outsider status because mm-hmm. they're different. Mm-hmm. And there's fewer people who can be there to support them. Yeah. And so um, they're kind of othered. Yeah, yeah. And uh, treated poorly by the majority human population. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, Siri doesn't feel camaraderie with the witchers at all. They pick on her. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, they pick on her and stuff. Mostly just escort. They're both outsider groups. Well, Siri and the witchers. Uh, However... One thing that was interesting was Siri doesn't tell Geralt about her powers right. in this episode. She has not explained how she escaped Cahill. He knows that she lied to him, and he's just he also part of his goal at Kermorin is to get the truth out of her. But I think also to gain her trust so that she will offer it forthcomingly. That seems to be his preferred method, yeah. Yeah, but his goal is to get the truth out of her. Yeah. yeah. The method is the, like, you can trust me method. And I think it's true. I think she can yeah. trust him. Another interesting tidbit we get is that Vesemir says that Geralt promised him that he would not take the Child of Surprise. Geralt explains why he did end up taking Ciri in the end, but Vesemir's like, hey, like, we talked about this. You weren't supposed to do this. Like You knew you've... it was a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> And he promised Queen Calanthe that he would never take it either. Yeah. I mean, they didn't trust him. They imprisoned him. (laughs) That's fair. Uh, Yeah. But destiny, you know? Yeah, what are you going to do, right? (laughs) Yeah. She's destiny's child. Oh, wait, that's a different Ah, thing. I didn't know Siri could sing. (laughs) Also, it's not uncommon for child surprises to become witchers also. So they'll end up at Kaer Morin at some point, most likely. That's true. I mean, Siri's already got the Geralt hair, so... Yep. And she's being trained by him, so she's gonna be kind of like a new type of witcher that's not mutated, but it's more like they can pass on the culture to another group of people. Unless they can put her through the... some Find some way to get back the materials needed to create witchers. I don't know. You'd have to convince her to do it. Hey, kiddo. <laughs> She's got magic. She might be preternaturally uh, resilient, too. Who knows? So, we were talking about monsters a minute ago, a few minutes ago. <laughs> now, just a reminder for everyone, in case you forgot, in this series, man is the real monster. Okay, thank you. That's, true. That's a theme that continues yeah. uh, <laughs> throughout this both seasons and kind of each episode. They explore this in a different way. And in this one, they really highlight how pain and trauma can push somebody over the edge to the point where they themselves become a monster. Yes. In the form of Eskel. And they they have become a literal monster, but it's symbolic for what pain and trauma can do to somebody if they don't get help and they just kind of suppress their feelings. Mm -hmm. I think that's the big part of it. Like, he he is injured or wounded and he knows about it and he doesn't say anything to anyone he's like i just came back because i figured you guys would figure it out and be yeah. able to help me and it's like you could talk to people yeah. <laughs> you could fucking tell someone 
talk about me messing up. Nah. <laughs> I guess he'd have to admit he made a mistake. Well, they True. call him out on making a mistake, basically, because he They says, roast him. Yeah, they... Because <laughs> 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 he In was more ways than to, one. Yeah, he was supposed oh, no. to use, like, fire through the heart yeah. of, yep. the, of the leshy, and... Well, Geralt uses fire through the heart on the leshy. Yeah, he does. Um... I'm curious if he ended up ever using fire on the heart of the Leshy, because he comes back with, like, an arm of the Leshy. Yeah. Um, No, he says he just got its arm, but he wasn't able to kill it. Oh, okay, okay. Because I thought he had implied that he had killed it. And I was like, you didn't kill it if the way to kill it is fire through the middle or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Through the sap. Yeah. It's true. He mentioned in one scene that he thought he would be strong enough to resist the infection. Right. Which has a foundation in why he would assume that. Since part of the Witcher mutations are resistance to disease and poisons and things like that. I think it's not unreasonable for him to feel he could resist it. But right up until the point where he says, oh shit, I'm not resisting it. Probably should have said something. But it, he, yeah, he could have just, yeah, he could have just said something. Yeah. Said, like, you, this is you toxic like, masculinity, oh, guys. It, it, it yeah. It literally is. Toxic or limiting masculinity. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, We've it's been so ta- toxic. It's a good it, way to say. It toxically poisons him and turns him yeah, into a monster. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. It turned him into a literal monster. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we see the social ways this might manifest where he's lashing out at his friends and he's pushing yeah. people away who yeah. could help him. Yeah. So that they don't want to be around him, but really it's a cry for help and he yeah. doesn't know how to ask for yeah. help. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the only person who really gives Siri a hard time seems to be Esco. Everyone else is just kind of like telling yeah. stories. They're just yeah. like, they're not really engaging with her necessarily. Yeah. Vesemir does later on, but it's more because he's, yeah. testing the waters with her. But he's they're antagonistic just like, and hostile towards her. He is, but I mean, I think that he has good reason to be, given his vocation and experiences. He seems to begrudge Geralt's relationship to her. It's almost like Esco looks up to Geralt like as a bigger brother mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. and um, he almost is kind of jealous yeah. of his re- like he him being her, a father. He, I think he also sees her as a symbol of privilege. Mm-hmm. And like Geralt comes home with this like symbol of privilege. And even though Siri has ostensibly nothing to offer him because yeah. she's like her her kingdom is is like in the hands of Nilfgaard. Yeah. Her entire family's dead. Like she has nothing to give him. I feel at least that's the way I interpreted it was that he's just kind of like, oh, you come home with a princess. And it's like, yeah, yeah but she's like not really going to get me anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it goes back to the promise that Geralt made him that Geralt broke, that he wasn't going to take in Siri. Yeah. I don't think like I don't think the explanation matters that much to Vesemir. He feels kind of betrayed, maybe. Well, this is Eskel. Yeah, we were talking about Oh, Eskel. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Well, yeah, Eskel's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think also, like, kind of uh, within that idea of, like, the coming-of-age story, there's also a moment where when Kermorin is under attack because uh, Guy has... Eskel. Eskel, thank you. Can't remember names of anything. Eskel has become a leshy, and, you know, the witchers are all going to try to figure out what's going on, and Siri goes and hides in her room, and then, like, they throw all of the um, 
sex workers. sex workers in the room with her. And I think it's an interesting thing because one, all of the sex workers are women. Two, all of the sex workers and Siri are dressed like nice. Elegantly. You know? Yeah. And there's, you know, kind of this scene where like it, it feels like the whole building is falling apart and the kind of like, I guess, leader of the sex workers is like, yeah. fuck this. We're getting the hell out of here. And Siri's like, like, no, you can't do that. Like, you know, we can't go out there and, and, you know, we have to trust that the men will take care of us. And they're like, nah, like Witcher's fight, we run. We're, yeah. We're bouncing. But I think in that moment, Siri realized that she's like of two worlds because she maybe like instinctively wants to run with the other women. Like, well, I don't want to deal with this. Fuck this. I don't want to go. But then also she doesn't want to leave Geralt because he trusts or she trusts him and I think that's also, like, a moment where she realizes she's going to need to learn to fend for herself. Yeah. Because she can't run anymore. If she's going to stay here with him, she needs to learn to fend for herself. And that's yeah. a realization that he makes for almost a similar reason in this moment. They both realize, like, we can't keep going like this. You there, can't just be, like, the helps, helpless damsel in distress. There yeah. is no safe haven. Yeah. Yeah, there's kind of this unspoken realization yeah. between the two of them. Yeah. If anything happens to him, he needs to know she can take care of herself. Yeah. And she, I think she also just realizes, like, I can't, I can't run away like everybody else can. Like, I have, I am kind of intertwined with this person, and this person is around a lot of, you know, fucking violence. violence (laughs) So I need to, I need to learn how to, like, fend for myself. She's already spent a lot of time running, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, she can't, like you're saying, she can't keep doing that forever. No. Yeah. So I'm glad she finally realizes that she yeah. know, needs to start kicking. And she does, she's like, I want to train. What can I do? You know, I think she kind of pesters him about it a little bit. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> Classic Gerald. Yeah. But and in, like, a much like, deeper, grumblier. Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't plan anything with her. He just takes her out front and is, like, starts showing her. And she's like, oh, I better yeah. just follow along. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but one thing we kind of hinted at before that we were going to talk about, it's kind of like I'm changing topics here, but okay. Fringilla. Yes. We get to know more about her, her backstory, and what's mm-hmm. going on in the Nilfgaardian mindset a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I was a little bit confused. So it sounds like the uh, the usurper or uh, Amir. Is that Amir, yes. Amir? The uh, white flight. Yeah, like put all of the mages in like uh jail and then uh the turned it into a brothel yeah and was that emir or was that the previous that was the usurper emir is not the usurper oh okay no. okay they okay. just called the 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 one former that... king or lord right so the usurper killed the former king and emir mm-hmm. is the rightful ruler and so Amir is kind of had taken over Nilfgaard again after the usurper had killed the former king. Okay, that so, was the part I was confused so about. Amir liberated Fringilla from, from slavery. Yeah, sexual slavery. Yeah. Like. yeah. Yeah. And so th- this guy is like the white flame or, or you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, and, and we hear a lot of negative things about Nilfgaard and I'm just like, not so sure Nilfgaard is actually bad. I feel like we're just seeing Nilfgaard through the lens of people who have reasons to not want Nilfgaard to take over. They 
were specifically going after Sintra as like an important seat of power to take over. Yeah. And we don't really know what their history is. We do know that all of the kingdoms kind of feud all the time. Mm-hmm. And like Jack, you mentioned before, they all kind of take turns. Yeah. Like fucking each other up. Yeah. I mean, Queen Calanthe was a conqueror. Yeah. Yeah, she was bragging in the first season about yeah. putting down a peasant revolt. Yeah. Like, yeah. Violently. Yeah. And she doesn't seem to be as concerned about, like, providing for her, or at least didn't seem concerned about providing for her, like, kingdom with, like, food and housing. Because the peasant revolt, she was like, no, like, you want things? No, I'm just going to squash that. Yeah. She just wanted to, She her main concern was... Like, her legacy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. passing that on. Yeah. Which is why, I mean, for good reason, but she yeah. didn't want Geralt to take theory. Yeah. Well, if we look back at the first season, we see uh, Nilfgaard not exactly uh, being conscious of the Geneva Convention. True. You know, uh, as they kill every citizen they come across... Uh, they completely try to wipe out the culture of Sintra as well. Yeah. yeah, It's a slash and burn tactic. Yeah. I don't think there's any, what I would say, or good... Or annihilation. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's any, what I'd say, good or benevolent rulers in this world. Like, the characters that I think we are most keen to empathize with are characters like Geralt, who are outside of the structural hierarchy of the systems, you know, it's now Siri that she's kind of a orphan warrior. Right. Everybody in a position of power is portrayed as kind of corrupt. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think it's interesting. So we know that Nilfgaard apparently wants to provide, like, food and housing for, like, ev- everyone that they rule over. They everyone s- who's willing to convert to their oh, very fanatic yeah. religion. Yeah, they say they're there to liberate everybody. So if you agree okay. with them, yeah. you'll be... F- Fine, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) But if you don't, like, woe is you. Yeah. (laughs) It reminds me a little bit of one of the scenes we saw in a movie we covered recently, Pan's Labyrinth, which was depicting Franco's fascist Spain. Yeah. Yeah. The scenes where the fascists were telling all the poor people, look, we provide you bread. Yeah. We keep you safe from the rebels. Mm -hmm. We're your guys. Yeah. Yeah, propaganda. It feels a lot like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if they believe in what they're doing. And and there might be good things they do. I mean, Fringilla being held in sex slavery, like, obviously, her being freed from that is fantastic. Yeah. Her leading a campaign where we found out in the, I think, the last episode that 20,000 Nilfgaardians died and then, like, thousands of people in the other area around Sodden died because mm-hmm. she refuses to not go through the bloodthirsty expansionist efforts of Emir. And she's another person who has been traumatized and is kind of turning into a monster. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, of course, it's The Witcher. Everything's complicated. Morality yeah. is yeah. never black and white. It's yeah. true. Yeah, like, she can be reached. She has her reasons for doing what she does. And uh, Yen was kind of saying, like, maybe we'll be friends again through all of this. Yeah, that was kind of sad. And then I remembered from last season that Yen actually basically swooped in on Fringilla's job. Yeah, oh, she yeah. Did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She 
She's the reason that Fringilla ended up in Nilfgaard. Yeah, Yennefer was supposed to go there. Like, oh, that whole thing just drives me nuts. Because, I mean, as you guys know, I, I'm so frustrated with Yennefer because she always wants to be the most prestigious, the most powerful, the most respected, but she never seems to, like, want to do the work. She just wants to be, like, handed the role. Yeah. And so she didn't want to go to Nilfgaard because she wanted, like, the prestigious position. Yeah. And then she didn't get, or she, you know, the job she got was technically prestigious, but was like it was shit work just shit work and then she you know, got bored and she didn't yeah. like being controlled by the brotherhood yeah and then fringilla is like over here like creating her own like mage kingdom basically yeah. and, like doing shit that that yennefer has never even attempted before and all of a sudden yennefer, <laughs> well, yennefer like, did try to have her own kingdom it's just true yeah for a little bit, a little sex kingdom. Um, That's but, true. But Yennefer, like, gets mad and is, like, clearly envious. She's like, oh, I could have had that. And it's like, I know. You have to work for things. Yeah. You don't just get them. You have to earn them sometimes. Like, I think she's always felt entitled without ever, like, wanting to put in the labor required to, like, prove yourself in some capacity. That's a side tangent. I always no, feel frustrated. True. But I'm really, I'm really excited to see what happens with her um, this season because we realize that she's learned her power, or learned, she's lost her power, and one of the only things that made her like, that she cared about, she right. didn't care about anything else, was like she just wanted power, like she said she wanted legacy, but then like Geralt kind of like, is like do you actually want that, or are you just mad you can't have it? Right. Yeah. Because it's something that is invalidating your like will and your choice and ultimately like your control over things like she you know she just wants to be like the most in control most powerful person yeah and And that's why she basically leaves Gerard at the end of season one because she feels like she'll never know if she loves him because yeah she loves him or because of him saving her from the genie she feels she feels like she has lost control of that aspect and she hates feeling that Lack of control, I feel like. Yeah, and for her, <laughs> power means that she has the capacity or the agency to have control over what happens yeah. to her. And with the loss of that, it seems she seems devastated. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think with the loss of her power doesn't just create this, like, feeling of insecurity uh, around, like, her safety, but it also com- comes with this, like, feeling of, you know, it's kind of like being the the like talented kid or whatever or you're like really good at a thing yeah. and people really like you because you're good at the thing I don't know anything about and this but not, I know what you mean yeah. and then you're not good at the thing anymore and you suddenly wonder like will anyone value me now like yeah. how can anyone love me how can anyone value me and like I think in addition to like losing that control and power and feeling of like safety through strength she's also lost the feeling of like how can anyone value me yeah like who am i without this ability yeah well dream Geralt thought she was pretty good at gardening yeah True. Yeah. yeah that and, could be like her post magical career and he loved her for herself yes and i think that's interesting that maybe it's you start the episode <laughs> yeah i think it's interesting you start the episode with this like I love you because you made great, you know, crops. Yeah. yeah. And then the end, 
not the end end, but like the last scene we see of Yennefer is like her walking through the woods alone, screaming, trying to portal and being completely incapable of doing it and feeling like she's completely lost herself. And who is she? You know, I think that's an interesting bookend for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like her internal feelings are kind of exemplified by what's going on around her. I like the way you put that, Casey. Like, yeah. she's alone in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who knows? I... She could have been trying to portal to Geralt. Hmm, maybe. Mm. I was I was also wondering, like, the other women were like, okay, we're leaving, you know, the, the witch's house. We're gonna go, like, team up. And they go, like, arm in arm together. Yeah. And then, Fring- or not Fringilla, uh, and then Yennefer is like, you know, okay, I'm going to go walk through the woods by myself screaming and crying <laughs> that I can't cast magic. And I was like, why don't you just go with them? Yeah. I mean, I don't think she agrees with what they're going to do. So. It's true. I was just going to say how funny it is when they're in the tomb and they're trying to recall all their dreams and share them with each yeah. other. They're like, oh, my dream was a united elven kingdom. <laughs> right. And that's when the road appeared. Oh, yeah. oh, my dream was a united Nilfgaardian yeah. kingdom. What about you, Yen? Look, it's not that important. Yeah. <laughs> that my dream was a, se- uh, was a sexy husband and a quiet life. <laughs> she uh, didn't even say, she's like, Look at this inscription up here. Yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. like, shut up, shut up. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? But, you know, it is really interesting that that was Yen's dream. Yeah. Given that we know that she, up to this point, has been kind of a power-hungry yeah. narcissist. But I Yeah, think, the other two. I was just to say, I think deep down we know that, like, what she craves is power only because she craves control because she feels like no one can value her. Yeah. Without, like, power and control. And what she ultimately wants is someone to value her. And there's a scene in season one where I think she says something to the effect of, like, I just want to matter to somebody. Yeah. And then um, Geralt says, like, you matter to me. Yeah. Yeah. While he's falling asleep. It was a sweet moment. (laughs) And, like, I really want them to be together and nice to each other. (laughs) (laughs) I want them to have that happy life that she had in the dream and not to get cut off by fire. But um, it's interesting, yeah, that Francesca and Fringilla both have a lot of ambition and want to achieve great things for a large group of people. And they want to work for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and hey, Yennefer... In Yen's dream, she's planting those crops like a motherfucker, okay? And Yennefer has been typically very ambitious and power-hungry and sees that as, like, her only value, but deep down she wants a simple life. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. That's surprising. I like that in media shorthand, when you have a fulfilled life focused on love, you're a farmer. (laughs) (laughs) Nine out of ten times. Ah, pastoralism. Yes. Yeah. But I think the other thing that's really interesting about, um, like, Yennefer's decision to go a separate way from um, Francesca and Frangilla, there's a lot of like duality in Yen's identity because on one hand, uh, she is part Elven. And so people treat her badly sometimes because she's part Elven. I think, what is it? Stregobor like hates Elves and like was like trying to figure out what her secret was when she was in school. And when he found out, he made like a big deal out of her being part Elven. And so, like, she has this part of her that people, like, sneer at or um, see her as, like, lesser than for. Um, But then, 
when she goes to these elves, you know, when she's like in their captivity yeah. and uh, she's like, I'm elven, you know, like, how could you treat me like that? And um, uh, Francesca says like, oh, do you sing our songs? Yeah. Have you ever cried? Where are your ears? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 She's like, have you ever cried over, like, the loss of elven blood? Like, And she has. We know that she has in season one. It's because Eratusa in the one room has elven skulls lining all the walls. And when she learns about that, she's like, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. 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 But they 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 kind of like call her out for the fact that she's mostly walked through life as a human, and for a lot of, in a lot of ways, she's able to pass as human, with the exception <laughs> of her purple eyes. Um, well, and I mean, early on, she wasn't able to. Well, also early on, it wasn't really her fault. Like she didn't have a choice, like where she was born or yeah, all that. But like as time went on, she could have sought out the elves to help them in their plight, but she never did. No, she no. doesn't, she's not compelled to, like, help her, like, elven ancestors or anything like that. So it's very clear that, like, she's not really uh, a part of elven culture, even though to the other people, uh, to, like, you know, the northern, like, Sintrans and stuff like that, the people who hate elves, she's, like, you know, part of this like despicable thing which i think is like this really interesting thing that happens a lot in our world where like you can be like american and chinese and to like the people of america they see you just as chinese but if you are like a second generation chinese immigrant and you go to china they don't see you as chinese in china they see you as american yeah. and they'll like they'll reject you for like your americanness and so i think a lot of times like immigrants at least in america really struggle with that duality of like i'm not respected or appreciated where i live and when i try to go be with my like ancestors or whatever they don't see me as part of them either yeah, yeah. Pe- people who have their feet in both worlds yeah. can can often be seen by people as never enough of the thing that they would yeah. like to see in that yeah. person. And there's a huge identity crisis in that. It's true. Yeah, that just ties back to our first theme, the one about the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a very traumatizing experience. Yeah. Yen doesn't share the trauma of the elves, and so they're like, huh, get back in your chains, Hume. Yeah. But she has her own trauma. Right. And her own trauma is probably what forces her to crave, like, control and power because she feels like she has no way to like exist comfortably in any one kind of realm the trauma of how she grew up devalued and ridiculed and cruelly beaten and then sold for four marks yeah that haunts her oh yeah and did we mention that fringilla and Francesca bond over their trauma or what their goals let's, sort of let's are talk as about well. that. Yeah, I think we should. Well, like you mentioned, Casey, Yennefer does not go with them at the end. However, they're marching along pretty buddy buddy by the end, it yeah. seems like. They're like, wait, you wanna you want your kingdom to regain its former glory and you want to conquer and your bloodthirst and my bloodthirst. Mm-hmm. Let's be BFFs and bloodthirst the whole world together. Exactly. That's they, blood friends forever. Yeah. yeah. They realize that they can be stronger together. And if they ally 
then there's not really a force that can seriously oppose them. Yeah. Yes. But uh, since Calanthe Trump called Nilfgaard <laughs> a shithole country, uh, you might recall she yeah, literally she called it a yeah, shithole. She did. And a lot of the other nobles and other kingdoms agreed. Yes. I Nilfgaard have been looked down upon. The elves aren't really doing themselves any political favors by siding with Nilfgaard. But, I mean, they are gaining the help of Nilfgaard. Well, they're, they're gaining militaristic favors if they end yeah. up allying, allying, allying. That does make up for the 20,000 troops Nilfgaard lost thanks to Yennefer. We'll see. I think also, like, there's no way they could ally with the North because everyone no. in the North hates elves so much. Yeah, it's true. There's just no chance. So they're, like, the only people that we could align with are the Nilfgaardians. Yeah. And Makes so it's sense. Kind of, it's kind of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend yeah. Yeah. kind of thing. And, you know, they buddy-buddy up. But I, I do think it's really interesting, the idea that both of them have these, like, much grander visions of, like, what they want to achieve. And, you know, they're they're feeling very, like, determined to, like, you know do what it takes to achieve those means. And Francesca's even warned, like, you're going to lose a lot of elves. Like, a lot of elves are going to die before you are able to get the elven kingdom that you want. And she's, like, aware that there's going to be big sacrifices that she has to make of other people's lives, which I'm not always a fan of. It's like, yeah, sure, I don't know, whatever. Um, As long as I live, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but she... My child survives to term. yeah, Yeah, but she's, like willing to put in this like work and labor and work together and i i just think that's such a such a typical yennefer thing to be like i don't want to achieve anything but when you guys achieve it i'm going to be really butthurt <laughs> i want credit i am not yeah like i am not the most powerful person in the room or you didn't include me yeah so they literally like, tried to yeah she's just like in some ways i'm like yeah i don't know i'm i, I relate i think i've been there when i was like, yeah. a teenager i'm like you guys are doing the fun thing and they're like yeah well we asked you if you wanted to come and you said no and i'm like i didn't want to at the time but now i see how fun it is and i'm like yeah. <laughs> i think it's yeah know? Well, I think Yen doesn't want to be part of Nilfgaard's bloody expansion yeah. either. I mean, yeah. I we kind of know that yeah. she doesn't. She did just murder a ton of people she did. recently. I think she that did. that has traumatized her pretty yeah. significantly beyond just losing her magic. Yeah. yeah. I, I should also mention that Yennefer is the one out of three who learns... Of the Undying Mother's true identity. Mm-hmm. The other ones are like, I know you're not who you're saying you are, but I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They she... all kind of figure out that they aren't as they seem. Yeah. But Yen has more reason to push on that. Yeah. Francesca became the leader of the elves because the robed woman appeared as an elven goddess, like we mentioned yes. earlier. And Ithilene. Uh, Ithilene. And now Yennefer is the one person who knows that she's sort of a false prophet in that manner. Yeah. And that her claim to the elven throne is basically null 
if that were to get out, right? I mean, potentially, it's, it's hard to know. We don't know a whole lot about the Deathless Mother yet. I mean, she's probably a powerful witch at the very least. Mm-hmm. It's true. Something a witcher at some point saw fit to try and kill. Yeah. yeah. Jack is right because Francesca's rule is based on her visions of the Deathless it is. Mother. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. So if Yennefer were to say anything, that would potentially make her yeah. leadership unstable. I if fe- they believed her. Yeah. I felt like that scene was a little confusing. Who who did um, Yennefer figure out the Deathless Mother was, Jack? The Deathless Mother. Oh, okay. She found out that the projection that was young to say it was actually the Deathless Mother, okay. who is basically Baba Yaga who lives in yeah. a uh, hut with okay. no windows and a chicken leg. Not Ithilene. Ithilene's some other goddess. Yeah. <laughs> Ithilene yeah. is the elven goddess who the Deathless Mother appeared to Francesca, Francesca as, as and she appeared to Fringilla as Amir, the white flame of Nofgard. Okay. Also, the hut doesn't have chicken legs in this setting. It has basilisk legs. Yeah, which I thought was like a snake. Which is like a chicken monster. It has chicken it? legs. Yeah, that's some. It's like a snake with four chicken legs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate to cut this short, but we're running pretty long here, so I think we should probably move into our yeah. final thoughts. All right, guys, this was a big episode. There was a lot to talk about. Do we have any final thoughts before we move on? I have been really enjoying the monsters this season. I feel like, I don't know, we didn't see that many monsters last season. Yeah, we really didn't. I I feel like there were a few good monsters, but this season, I'm like, monster episode one, monster episode two. Like, I'm really into it. I loved the animation for the... Oh. The Leshy, yeah. Yes. I love tree monsters. Oh, yeah. yeah. that's so cool. Very like, cool. when he, like, little, little, little uh, spaghetti noodle, like, <laughs> down from, like, I don't know, the ceiling or whatever. Yeah. I was like, oh, he's so cool. Yeah. I feel like they're doing a really good job of weaving them into the larger narrative, but yeah. still making it feel like a one shot yeah. Yeah. adventure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Each episode. Yeah. yeah. It's true. I noticed an epic moment in this Oh, episode. wow. Let's yes. hear it. Yeah. When uh, the witchers have a bunch of prostitutes over at Kaer Morin, one of the background witchers, who we might have gotten his name once, but we also might not have. Right, the guy with the scars on his face. Yes. He's just slow dancing with one of the sex workers. <laughs> yeah. He's he's definitely little spooning the situation yep. with his like head tucked under her chin on her shoulder and he's just really enjoying it and I'm like, "Oh, that man is so touch starved." Yeah. He miss, he needs affection so yeah. badly. That was a sweet and nice detail that I think yeah. a lot of fantasy would yeah, I think a lot of fantasy would not add that detail yeah. of like This tough guy being sensitive and sweet. And that's a great point. Danica, the sex worker who Geralt met, I believe in the last season we saw them talking, talks to him. Yeah, that's a cool name. Danica's a very cool (laughs) name. Yeah. Um, She, like, pulls Geralt aside and is like, hey, I I want to talk to you. And he's like, why do you remember me? He's like... And she's like, because you're the one who actually pays. And like, damn, that's... I was like, that's dark. That's dark, but like, it's good character building for Geralt. Like, why he is somebody who 
they, the show goes a long way to show why Geralt is actually, like, a charismatic guy. They're not just like, oh, like, Geralt is special because we say he's special. We, like, learn little bits of his backstory mm-hmm. through his interactions with people. He's, like, Esco tries to throw a punch at Geralt, and he basically doesn't even flinch. He, like, like the Flash, just, like, moves aside and disarms Esco, and it's like, we're seeing that he is just so much a cut above the other Witchers in a lot of ways. He has standards and morals. Yeah, and yeah. that too. Like, he's actually a good person. Yeah. He, We know that, I, we've, I talked about this a lot last season, Geralt is not a monster killer who just wants to kill monsters. Yeah. He would much rather solve problems mm-hmm. peacefully if he could. He does try to talk Eskel out down. Yeah. And, like, so does Vesemir, actually. They both try to talk him into, like, Holding back so they can help him yeah. reverse. Yeah. yeah. And Vesemir was Geralt's, like, father figure, basically, for his whole yeah. life. Yeah. Like, he learned a lot of his way of problem solving, surely, from Vesemir. It's daddy's daddy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, something I'd like to know, if, hopefully we'll get a little bit more about in the coming episodes, but Vesemir said when he found out that it was actually Eskel who was the Leshy. He said this shouldn't be possible. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to know that. more detail. I think I understand yeah. what he means, but I'd like to know more detail explicitly yeah. about yeah. why. Like, it must be something about their witcherhood. Their witcher it resistance. It mean that they, yeah, shouldn't be able to be turned, but I'd like to know more yeah. about that. Yeah. Hopefully we'll figure some more of that out in the coming weeks. All right, well. I think that'll do it for us here this week after another rousing satire TV. As always, if you enjoyed the show, you can follow us on social media, too. If you go to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and follow at Swords and Satire, you can keep up with the show, see what movie we're watching next, what shows we're covering, and check out some memes. They're awesome. And what else is awesome is the people who support us on Patreon. And you could too. You could become a supporter of the show if you go to patreon.com slash swords and satire. Check out our tiers, see if any of them work for you. And in return, you'll be a supporter of the show, like I said. But you'll also be able to vote on a movie we watch each month and gain access to bonus episodes. So that's pretty cool. That's right. But if you don't want to be remembered like Geralt as someone who typically pays their creators... (laughs) feel free to support the show by telling your friends and family about it instead people who are aware of you and will be uh hopefully kind and loving to you like like people in this world are on occasion anyway on a rare occasion (laughs) anyway you can watch the shows and movies that we keep up with, watch it with your friends and family, and then listen to the episodes. Gee willikers, ain't that fun? It's basically what I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah! And Casey, thank you so much for joining us back on our Witcher coverage. It's always awesome to have you. Yes. Anytime. I'm obsessed with this show. It's gotten so... I feel like it's gotten so much better than season one, so I'm, like, really stoked to participate whenever I can. Well, you are welcome to join us for any episode, not only when we cover The Witcher, but especially when we cover The Witcher. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time... Hail, Hail Cry! Cry!